Connecting with our community live from Melbourne Girls Grammar School, Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to MGGS Live on Live FM. Welcome everyone live from MGGS South Yarra on the traditional lands of the Boonwurrung, Boonwurrung and Wurundjeri peoples. You're listening to Live FM. My name is Mimi Koska and I'm so delighted to welcome two very special people to my show today. Please introduce yourselves. Um, hi, my name's Emily Walters. I'm a student at Melbourne Girls Grammar School and I'm also school captain. Hi, my name is Kendall Hewen. I am the head of English at Melbourne Girls Grammar School. Awesome. So today, oh, so hello to Emily and Miss Hewen. For our listeners out there, Emily is our wonderful school captain, as she said, and Miss Hewen is our brilliant head of English. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So today I was hoping to discuss a wide range of topics, starting with a question for you, Em. Yep. Emily, what is your opinion as a leader and student in an all-girls school when currently in the media there is a lot of talk surrounding the issues with changing same-sex schools to co-ed schools? Well, um, as a student, I know and I have heard and I've read things talking about how same-sex schools are extremely beneficial to girls. We don't have – and I don't want to generalise, but I – can imagine um, from my own experience as well going to a co-ed primary school that guys bring a certain level of disruption to academia. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think there is something that um, girls and boys miss from not having um, interactions with um, the opposite sex, <laughs> yes. Um, but I think that can be avoided, especially at our school. We have a really good connection with our brother school and a lot of opportunity to interact with them. So um, I would say personally that I think that um, our school is pretty incredible just the way it is, but Miss Ewan, if jump on that um okay so I have worked in other girls schools and I've worked in COVID school and I my um schooling was at a co-ed school I think that the collegiality the support camaraderie that you get at a girls school is quite distinct that's not to say that I think the girls schools are right for every student I don't think that they are but I think for a lot of students Uh, girls going to a girls' school can be hugely beneficial for confidence, for friendship, for academic success across the field. I think that sometimes people sort of have a vision of girls' school that doesn't correlate with my experience of girls' school and my friend's experience of girls' school. I have friends who went to MGGS back in the day and they're still friends now, which I think is quite unique for a lot of people. But I think, and this is a huge generalisation, that people I know who went to girls' schools are more inclined to maintain those friendships because there is this incredible camaraderie that happens. I agree that it becomes problematic when you don't have um, interactions with the opposite sex except in very um, high-intensity, if you get my euphemism, um, situations. Mm -hmm. I think that becomes hugely problematic. I think you do need um, cross-pollination between Mm. schools and cultures and I think... The real world is obviously, um, uh, you know, there's lots of genders in the real world. Uh, That's not to say that I think 
that schools need to mimic that because schools aren't a reflection of the real world. You don't have people guiding you through the real world. You don't have um, workplaces where your bosses really, you know, care about you and hope for your greater success and things like that. No, so I don't think schools have to be a microcosm of the real world. But I do think that they should be supports for future success. And I think growing up in an environment or being in a school in an environment where um, you can really flourish and uh, you can talk about specifically sort of um, feminine experiences and things like that can actually make people much stronger people before they venture out into the kind of rather terrifying adult world. It's not that terrifying. (laughs) I agree. Well, this, I was reading an article about it because... Uh, Newton College and Cranbrook School, which are both in Sydney, that's how this sort of debate, it's obviously been an ongoing debate, but that's, it's currently in the media um, because it came to the public's attention when a viral video surfaced. Have you seen? No. It's basically old members of um, Newton College going, I would never send my grandson to co-ed school, like he's not going to be an old boy like me and getting really upset and that's, and then they have been talking about like how the decision to change these schools to co-ed schools is quote a result of toxic wokeness and virtue signaling. So, what what are your thoughts on that? Um, could you explain virtue virtue sorry virtue signaling to me, please? Well, I. It's when yeah. um, somebody sort of implies a sort of moral position or position as being the better position because they consider it more moral without explicitly stating it. Mm. I um, I think it's an economic decision. I think that schools go co-ed because their um, fear of losing enrolments. I think in Melbourne we've seen the um, you know Shelford being merged with Caulfield Grammar and different girls' schools. Girls' schools, you know, Mel- uh, Geelong Grammar once had a sister school called Clyde School mm-hmm. where um, Elizabeth My Murdoch went to that school. With, yeah. There you go. It was meant to be fantastic but um, they lost enrolments to Geelong Grammar and they merged with Geelong Grammar. So I think that's the fear is that some of these schools feel that they're unsustainable without being co-ed and having a broader pool. Mm, that's interesting. And do you think that in that way like social media has changed the way that we handle social issues in a modern age like in terms of cancel culture and things like that? Like. What are you oh, totally. Like I think social media, I mean, in a way it holds people accountable because now people are so much more active on social media. It's become something that is a part of people's identity. Um, but it also I think has just increased the severity of cancel culture to the point that it's actually ridiculous. Like people have no way of, in a way, and in some cases I'm like I'm not going to generalise you, but I know that there's a lot of people who've experienced, um, I'm going to say discrimination in a sense, not necessarily um, without merit, but they just haven't been able to, you can't, go back from that because there is evidence of what you've done um, for everybody to see no matter even if you have no connection with that person they know what you've done in a way and I think and that like plays into the idea of like a mob mentality and like a group you know when one person says something you all jump on it what do you reckon I think also there's this innate sort of desire to imagine yourself to be better than people as well like that's that attribution bias where we sort of seek out failings in people because often they're non-contextual you know people sort of lurch onto one thing somebody said in the context of a whole 
bigger debate. Mm. Mm. Just if you're tuning in for listeners, you're listening to Live FM live from Melbourne, South Yarra, um, Melbourne, Australia. My name's Mimi Koska and our special guest guests for today are Miss Emily Walters and Miss Kendall Hewan. So um, going back to our discussion, keep continuing your point on council culture. Um, yeah, I think it's hugely dangerous because I think also, Mimi, as I spoke to you earlier about um, that opportunity to be forgotten as well, mm. I think that's – I think it's a really sad part of your upbringing, your childhood, that you don't necessarily have the chance to have your mistakes forgotten because they're so often recorded. And it may not be that you yourself record them, it's other people record them. You know, you can be the greatest fear I have is ending up a meme because, you know, I'm in the background (laughs) of somebody else's viral photograph or something like that. And I think that that's... I think that's because it, it speaks to a lack of generosity as well mm. that we're kind of seeking these failings in other people instead of sort of celebrating humanity and all the wonderful things we do, mm. we're more inclined to click on the thing that attacks. And, and that almost like speaks to like a death of individuality necessarily. Oh, yes. Like you see, you know, there's all that stuff in the in, on TikTok and whatever about like Sephora kids and whatever and, and I kind of think whatever happened to being like a dorky year seven, you know, like just being an idiot like I know me and Em. <laughs> Obviously we're in lockdown so it was in a way sort of beneficial because you were able to just be a kid without having to not necessarily do it in front of your peers but without that sort of watchful shame. Eye. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've all gone through it and we've all made stupid mistakes and we've all said things we've regretted. Mm. Everybody does. And often some of the things you regret saying, you didn't even mean it to mm. sound like that. You know, we often say things in, um, you know, in, uh, yeah, difficult ways like I'm just doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Think, is the word yeah, and also that innate fear that you were talking about as well, Miss Hewan, yeah. of the spectator but also, you know, people just in general, the human. Um, it sort of creates this morbid, like, sense of that mob mentality, that morbid, mm. like, kind of community and connection, mm. like people latching on to their own fear of, you know, failure and mistake mm. and on to other people and just joining together in this, oh, like they're, they're the villain, they're, mm. they're the ones who've, um, who've gone wrong and I haven't. And also I think the broader implications for some of the things that we attack people for, you know, that we might attack an individual and we think, oh, this individual fundamentally deserves it. But then when we look at the context, um, we, we, you think it actually can be quite dangerous. I'm mm. thinking of Amber Heard here and, yeah. you know, that whole sort of televising of, mm. a, um, of their trial and the implications it possibly has for other women who, you know, without evidence uh, call out people for abuse and things like that. Yeah. I think it also feels um, in a way this like, I mean, this already cultural issue of, um, and I am generalising here, but women sort of not necessarily um, or being inclined to apologise for things Mm. that are not necessarily needed to or necessary to apologise for and um, seeing and sort of latching onto these horrible like just immediately portraying women in particular especially in social media as you know doing the wrong thing um 
that is sort of relayed back onto themselves and suddenly it's this cycle where, um, you know, every single thing that someone else has done wrong, they suddenly have to apply to their own character mm-hmm. and it just mm, I agree. grows and grows until it's just impossible. And I think that idea like of like this is a bit, you know, off topic, but <laughs> I think that I've also found that, and this is actually very off topic, but I feel like women and I found it at this school as well, like obviously there's that desire to be the same as everyone else, mm. but in the same way, if you're not necessarily individual individual in a way like you're really talented at a sport or you really love doing drama or something like that, you're not special. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that's particularly of your generation. I think that's all oh, yeah. generation. And I'll go completely off topic. No, good. <laughs> So the other day my daughter was asking me what animal I'd be if I died, like what I'd like to be reincarnated as, and she was thinking jellyfish, and I was wondering whether they had consciousness. But then I suggested bird because how wonderful to just be a swallow and you just go and you live your life and you build your nest and you go and you eat your um, bugs and nobody's making an assessment of, you know, like Glennis, that swallow over there is eating 15 bugs today. And, you know, (laughs) yesterday she was on 13. We're so cruel to each other. And Mm. sometimes a small – like I quite like that little song that's been on TikTok, you know, this little life, this little life. <laughs> yeah. I know. But that's – but how nice to just kind of live. And this is why I love Mrs Dalloway because I think mm. that's her resolution at the end. It's sort of th- this is sufficient. This is okay. I'm not a politician. I don't have a bazaar. I haven't, you know, gone off to the Middle East and got a tan and – Turkey tan. But she, um, uh, you know, like a lady, lady Bettsborough with a bazaar. But she – um, she's fulfilled and she's happy and isn't that sufficient? Like yeah. we, I think this idea of this exceptionalism I think is really dangerous because, you know, frankly most people aren't exceptional no. and most people will be forgotten over the course of history and it doesn't really matter how much we photograph ourselves. That's just more stuff that we're going to ultimately have to deal with. It's not – it doesn't necessarily mean that we've changed the course of a broader world. We can within our own experiences and our relationships to each other. But I think it is sufficient to just live well yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to live morally and to be kind to people and to achieve your own – have your own sense of achievement. Yeah. Well, yeah, this is a nice segue into um, – I was going to ask you off topic but it's sort of in topic now. I understand that you got to backpack through Europe before yes. social media and all that stuff. And so what was that experience like, like making your own, you know, like you said, personal – achievement that doesn't necessarily need to be broadcast okay so first of all it was terrifying for my parents um because it was the early 90s and um I hadn't been overseas before so I got my passport just before I went and I just finished year 12 and I went overseas and um they discovered that I didn't have as much money as I told them I had (laughs) (laughs) so I was really poor I was incredibly poor but I um it was so incredibly wonderful and people my own age who then went a few years later, email existed so then they can email. But the first year, few years that I was away, um, email did exist but not for normal people. There were no internet cafes or anything like that. That took about three years later to, to arrive. So it was one week you would write your um, you would write your letter and you would post it. It would take a week to arrive and then your parents would write back and it would take another week. So it was a two-week turnaround and then the cost of phone calls was exorbitant. So, and as I said, I really had no money. Um, just on a side note, the first 
letter I sent to my mother, she was an English teacher, she sent back marked in red pen. <laughs> oh, my God. So I write a letter to her and I said, if you ever do that again, that, this is the last letter you will receive. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was actually really good because you could invent yourself and you could invent your history and you could be lost and you could just be a whole new person and then when you actually went to different places and each time you met new people you could try out like coats different versions of yourself and different parts I mean I remember meeting a group of people I told them I had a totally different name which now would be so easy you could just google and be like oh they're just a big fat liar but it was quite fun sort of just experimenting with who I was and who I got to be before and also not to have a watchful eye Mm. The downside was that I did lose touch um, with uh, a lot of people um, because it was letter writing. But then at the same time you keep all the letters. You know, I have a box of letters. Mm. I have a box of hard copy photographs and often we look quite terrible in them. You know, you had one <laughs> photograph and that was it and you <laughs> yeah, got like it developed. Disposable cameras, yeah. Yeah, you didn't know until it came back. And I f- But I feel so utterly privileged that I just managed to sweep in before there was that immediacy of Mm. technology that I was allowed to have that time and that space because also the other thing is something would happen, you would write to your parents and something would happen, you'd have this space to kind of consider it and think about it like two weeks before you responded, wrote again or one week between. And so you didn't have to tell them everything, Mm. which I'm sure for them, like the idea of my daughter going backpacking around Europe without contact (laughs) is frightening but... At the same time, I think it's good and I think, sorry, Emily, I think that's okay. <laughs> just one thing that I think that it speaks to a bigger concern that I have for society, I think this is cancer culture and I think it's a lot of things, um, is that inability to take risks or failure and this constant kind of, I think we have a big culture of fear at the moment and I think mm. that that is perpetuated by social media and I've perpetuated by the immediacy. You know, we feel like big things that are happening in the world are happening right in front of us when they're not. Mm. And I think it's nice to be able to withdraw from the world, to be able to kind of to just step back and experience something else without sort of this constant worry. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, totally agree with what you were saying about um, emails and how that sort of contact um, when you were backpacking, you had that time to actually think about what you were going to respond because I'm totally a victim of that fear that in, you know, modern culture because... I mean, just to bring something about my captaincy into it, like emails are just the thing that I don't (laughs) – that's the worst. Like I honestly, I find them so stressful and I genuinely just get so scared even about like bringing back to that whole like animal thing, like thinking Mm. about – just wanting to be an animal that doesn't have to think about judgment, doesn't have to think about like what it's going to do in the day. It's just I've always wanted to be a cat yeah. <laughs> so I could just go outside and not um, have to worry about anything. I'd just sleep all day and yeah. not be judged for it. But Minimum um, productivity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think in terms of emails, like I and I think a few other people do this too is I will always picture the finished product without the process without the work, yeah. and it is so that is just not the way obviously to go about it because you start and obviously your first draft first draft of anything first try is not going to be of the standard <laughs> yeah. or the level of your final draft and um yeah sometimes I find myself in a bit of a hole and I think um would it be better if we didn't have to 
Hmm. Worry about that 24-7, getting back to people within 10 minutes, etc. It's called the progress trap. Yeah. We invent these things to make our lives easier and they don't. And I remember when you were in a younger year level once, you said to me, (laughs) you had emailed me, um, drafted me a very lovely email and I had responded with yes or something like this. And you were saying, you know, you meant to be teaching me you should be modeling good email <laughs> behavior why you just give me the short sharp responses and I was saying well some days I have 60 plus emails yeah and it becomes this necessity where you're just responding to questions as opposed to yeah modeling good writing and good email etiquette well, yeah, even when I was emailing you guys I was thinking of going mm, how can I make this sound really like professional and then towards the end of the emails I was like here's what we're doing can't wait to see you blah you yeah. know yeah, yeah no totally I found that with just emailing Miss Broadway vice principal um or Dr May's secretary the principal secretary like at first first few weeks of this term I would spend hours and hours mm. like it's it was bad. Like I would take a lot of time out of my day just to write these mm, emails yes. because I was afraid that they wouldn't mm. be formal enough, they wouldn't be um, um, enough to demonstrate that I was uh, enough for my position. Mm. Um, just in general, like just that fear of um, not being good enough. I think everyone experiences that no matter what is happening mm. in their life. Um, and it was just not – wasn't practical at no. all. Um, especially with year 12. So I, th- I think that goes back to what we we're talking about, about cancel culture. I yeah. mean, it's another form, obviously a pedant's form of cancel culture, which maybe I should be in support of as a head of English, but I'm not. Um, is that idea that people might lurch onto, you know, you, you, you turn your in into an is or something as a typo and, mm. and suddenly it's like, ha, I knew they weren't as brilliant as I thought they were or mm. something, you know, because it, that, that fear sort of perpetuates too, that idea that you're, it's, it's permanent. Yeah. Well, I think, I think we've had a really good discussion today. I'm really pleased with yeah. how we've all. <laughs> Sorry. That <laughs> no, was that's very fun. enthusiastic. That's what, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that is all we have time for. Okay. So thank you for being such wonderful guests. It's been a great pleasure talking to you guys today. And so live from MGGS, South Yarra, Melbourne, Australia, you've been listening to Live FM. My name is Mimi Koska. Thank you for joining us today, Miss Hewan and Miss Walters. <laughs> we hope you found this information useful. Until next time, have a great day. Thank you so Thank much, you Mimi. So much. Uh, hey, I just do what I-